Our New Testament lesson tonight comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 42. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered round him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands upon her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone out from him, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter has died. Why trouble this teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? This child is not dead, she is sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And at this they were overcome with amazement. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have an authoritative man and an ostracized woman, a named insider and an unnamed outsider, a leader and a bleeder, one who knows he will be heard and one who assumes she will not. They could hardly be any more different, save for one important detail. They are both desperate for a man named Jesus to do everything they have heard he can do and be everything they have heard he is. Now I love the Gospel of Mark for many reasons. One of those reasons is how many miracles it records in a relatively brief account. To hear Mark tell the story, Jesus hands out miracles the way that Oprah once handed out cars. Everybody gets one. 
Today's scripture reading is a miracle interrupted by a miracle. It is an embarrassment of riches. And I love Mark for this. We need all the miracles we can get these days, don't we? I find myself praying a lot lately, keep the miracles coming, Jesus. And the more often I pray this, the more I am reminded that, well, prayer tends to change me more than the circumstances around me. And the more I sat with this story, I realized I don't think this is a story of two miracles. I think it's a story of four. For one, Jesus heals the woman. He releases her from 12 years of physical torture, the actual pain of a body in which something has gone terribly wrong, and whatever it is, it is wrecking all kinds of havoc. He releases her from the mental anguish of being told time and time again, there is nothing we can do for you, or maybe even on occasion, being told, it's all in your head. He releases her from the resigned realization that this is how it will be for the rest of her life. And he releases her from the economic hardship of seeking physician after physician, trying every treatment in the book, from the most traditional to the ridiculously outlandish, similar only in their assault upon her financial future and their ultimate impotence. And finally, he releases her from the social pariahship that all of the above colludes to create. He releases her from all of that with one touch, and it isn't even his own touch. That is a miracle. You could count it as four or five all on its own for every layer of her healing, but there's more coming, so we'll count it as one. Second, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter, even after she's pronounced dead. Now you and I, we know that death is no match for Jesus, who is the bringer and giver of life and life abundant. Awake from your slumber, he tells the little girl, arise from your sleep. And he restores not just her future, but her father's future too. That is a miracle. And that's two. A sizable miracle, and without discounting the magnificence of either one, I think we can all agree that these are the miracles everybody sees when they read this story. Because Mark, in his urgent wisdom, places them at center stage exactly where they belong. Look at this man, they say. See him for who he is and what he can do. But I would like to suggest that there are still two more miracles in this story. And they are miracles I see more clearly when I read this story remembering that this is Pride Week in Colombia. Miracles three and four are that a man of great status and a woman without any status whatsoever each muster up enough faith to approach Jesus in the first place. Jairus, after all, is a leader in the local synagogue, almost certainly a colleague of the scribes, who are even now, in this very moment, plotting ways to kill Jesus. 
And so to approach this renegade healer in public and throw himself at his mercy, begging and pleading for help, knowing that his friends and neighbors and co-workers are going to raise both an eyebrow and a stink about every second of this encounter, knowing full well what has happened to others who have trusted this man, knowing all of that and pressing forward nevertheless, that is faith. He takes his secure future and his stable livelihood and places it all on a wing and a prayer, and that is a, game, a gamble that only faith is willing to take. His faith might be born out of desperation, but desperate faith is still faith. Now the woman, she might have less to lose, but she also has to push through a lifetime of being looked down upon or overlooked entirely. Her presence in the crowd is a great risk, one that could backfire at any moment. And in her head were surely whispers of the voices that cried out over the years, you are unclean, you are not holy, stay away, there is no place for you here. And maybe those voices are what silence her own voice that day, leaving her no other option but to reach out and grab at Jesus' cloak. If history is any indication, she has no reason to believe this moment should be any different. But there she is, with her fingers full of faith, connecting with a bit of fringe. And without miracles three and four, miracles one and two, they don't take place. And the honest truth, I think, is that there is no reason, there is no reasonable reason that either that man or that woman should have had anything close to that kind of faith. Nothing about the makeup of their identities or their histories could reassure them that trusting Jesus would bear much fruit. And I cannot help but see a corollary to the faith of our LGBTQIA siblings. Now to be perfectly clear, not because they, because you are sick and in need of healing, but because your faithfulness to the church, an institution that for years upon years for lifetimes even, told you again and again, there is no place for you here, or there is no equal place for you here. Your faith in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ has been so strong, you endured the church at its worst. And you trusted that eventually, the institution would catch up with the one it claimed to follow. From where I sit or stand, there is no reason, no reasonable reason that you should have done such a thing. And that sort of faith is a miracle. And just like the faith of both Jairus and the woman, your faith paves the way for more miracles. 
Now I'm aware that there are still places in the capital C church and places within our own denomination where the truth of this gospel is still silenced. So hear this clearly. LGTBQ siblings, you are a miracle. Whether the fullness of your identity is something you share with the world or whether it is something you are only beginning to realize within yourself, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. As the good book itself puts it, you are good and very good. Or as a song puts it, you are glorious. You are made in the image of God. You are a beautiful and beloved child of God. And with you, God is well pleased. When Jesus heals the unnamed woman, the woman who has been but is no longer bleeding, he praises her, claims her as family by calling her daughter, and says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Great is your faith. Go in peace. And so again, directly to our queer siblings, your faith may have saved you. That's what Jesus says, and I'm in no position to argue with him. Your faith may have saved you, but your faith has also saved the church. Our church, our beautiful, broken, stumbling, imperfect church. Because you reached out and you held on to God and the church and along the way, your faithful grip on both of those things drew them closer together. And that is a miracle. It is an unfinished miracle though, as we are ever striving toward a fully just church and indeed a fully just world, one that is no longer bound by homophobia, but also one that is no longer bound by racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, any of it. The full realization of that vision is still far off in the distance. But just like in Mark's gospel, it draws closer one miracle at a time. There may be two miracles in the story today. I count at least four. Depending on how you count, it could be six or ten. The point, I think, is that they are far more frequent than we sometimes allow ourselves to believe. And if all of us in the church could channel the faith of Jairus and the unnamed woman, if all of us in the church could channel the faith of the queer community over the years and in the present day, if we all were bold enough to reach out for the fringes of justice and hold on with everything we have in us, we could see glimpses if not its entirety, the arrival of God's promised day. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.